Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, hello, Sharon. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself in your green tie I'm on St. Patty's Day? Yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great. You know, can't complain. It's a beautiful day outside, and I get to spend some time with you and our wonderful guest today in the studio. Of course, in the studio without you, but, uh, right. you know, we'll make it work, right? Well, um, you are in for a treat with this guest today, and we have been trying to get her since last August. She has made us wait quite a long time to hook up. Well, you know what they say, good things come to those who wait. So, Well, we waited. So. We waited, so we we're, in, we're in good <laughs> shape now. Do you want to introduce our mystery guest today, Sharon? Um, well, I absolutely will start that, and uh, we have with us today Jenny Crow. And the background that I have with Jenny is I didn't know her before, and I met her when we went to school at Yale together. She was in my class. So we spent three years together, (laughs) and we lived through it. So there you go. So um, we'll just go ahead and let you tell us a little bit about your background, Jenny, and introduce your topic for us today. Certainly. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for waiting. (laughs) Sorry, my schedule is bananas. Uh, So a little bit about me. I am a Midwesterner at heart, born and raised in Michigan. And then I started moving around the country. I lived in Florida for about eight years. I went to school there at University of North Florida for my anesthesia program. And in Florida, I met my husband, well, my now husband, who is active duty Air Force. So he has kind of kept us going from various deserts in this great United States of America (laughs) uh, about every two or three years. So I've lived 
in Arizona, California, and Illinois. And those I think are the only So tell what he does in the Air Force, Jenny. Yeah. So he is, uh, he's a test pilot. Prior to that, he was an A-10 pilot. um, And now he is flying uh, F-16 and the T-38. Very cool. Do you ever get to go up with him? No, so oh, okay. the A10 is a single seat, <laughs> first of all. Um, okay. But there are some opportunities for spouses where we can either taxi, yeah, with someone or or go on, I think, a C17. But I have not done that yet. I'm okay. Very yeah, but I knew there were opportunities to do that, so it's always always it's fun to time to that. go. Yes, yeah. we're hoping uh, this summer we can make some time and put me in a put me in a jet. And you serve also. I do. Yes, I am in the Navy Reserves, which keeps me moving around the country um, here and there. Uh, so I've, in a Navy capacity, been attached to Florida, uh, San Diego. Uh, I've been to Portsmouth a few times, and I know some of our Navy colleagues there, which is fantastic. It's a wonderful community. That's that's really what keeps me in the services, is in part my colleagues. Sure. Well, thank you both for your service. Absolutely. My pleasure. Absolutely. So what are we going to be talking about today, Jenny? We are going to be talking about methamphetamines. Yay. <laughs> Sounds great to me. Yes. <laughs> what a time to talk about drugs. Yeah. What a great time to talk about drugs. So, and, and tell us, you know, why this topic is important and, and maybe why it's even timely at this point. Certainly. Yeah. So uh, it didn't really occur to me that methamphetamines were even should be on my radar uh, until I started moving around the country doing a lot of locums jobs, specifically in Arizona and California. I was not only seeing a lot of patients who were using methamphetamines, but also I was getting a lot of conflicting information. So we would cancel their cases that they were supposed to have. Um, people would see that they would see methamphetamine in their system for like wild amounts of times. So it's just told me something completely different. This doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I really started to look into what do we know about patients who are using methamphetamines? And it's very uh, timely. I hate to say this, but also with the pandemic, there's been a lot of people who haven't been able to get access to recovery services, perhaps, or, you know, emotional stressors and who are turning um, to various substances, including methamphetamines. So I can't say unequivocally that we've seen a rise in methamphetamines. I know that we've seen a rise in um, fentanyl usage, but they're all kind of tied hand in hand. And unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of patients who are using these substances. So when you say they came in, were they currently using, I mean, like right before they came in, or are you just saying if they tested positive or? Well, some of all of these situations, I have had patients who admitted in their interview that they used methamphetamines that morning. That one seems like a bit of a softball. Okay. (laughs) We're going to cancel you. Um, But then there's other patients who have come in who needing are needing a surgery and they say, well, you know, I was at a party and I used methamphetamines and it was five days ago or it was three days ago. And then you start to say, okay, well, what surgery are we doing? Do we cancel it? So forth and so on. I think 
most people would just be safe and blanket statements say, well, we're canceling the surgery. We live in a litigious society. I'm not going to put myself at risk. Um, and I think that that's well within their right to do so. That being said, I think probably that a patient who used five days ago is fairly safe, you know, from uh, an anesthesia complication standpoint, or you have in my line of work, for example, I work in labor and delivery. Mm. So sometimes patients who are using methamphetamines, you don't have the option to cancel. Right. Right. (laughs) They're delivering that baby regardless. (laughs) So, oh, wow. um, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So then you say, well, what can I do for this patient safely? And what are my options? Let's talk about the nomenclature around all of this substance abuse disorder versus drug abuse. I know you have some thoughts on that. Yes, I will confess. I did not learn about the importance of this language until I started uh, my doctoral program at Yale. And because it's out there, everybody knows like, oh, this this patient is abusing drugs, so forth and so on. And even you have um, government websites that have the word drug abuse in in the name. And I mean, words matter, right? So it carries with it a certain weight. And if we can make the, the conscious decision to kind of say substance use disorder or they're a user, it kind of ties more into the chemical response that's happening in the brain, right? So there is a lot of stuff that happens when somebody uses methamphetamines and the changes in the brain that occur when somebody uses methamphetamines. And it's, it's not like, Oh, well, I'm just trying to like soft roll um, how, how much, these people may or may not use these substances. It's not about that. It's it's really kind of tying in more to almost humanizing the process and how difficult it can be to um, kind of stop using any of these substances as well. So, so what are some of the changes in their neurochemistry? I've never used methamphetamine, so what? I don't have any clue whatsoever. This was fascinating to learn about, let me tell you. Um, Because I'm assuming you haven't either, so. I have not. No. (laughs) Okay. The Navy doesn't really allow it. Go figure. Oh, however. Nor does the anesthesia community. (laughs) No. Uh, I will preface this little fun fact, though. Um, Methamphetamines were used um, by soldiers in the past. So they used it kind of like go pills for um soldiers who were going off to war and it huh. amped them up and it and it made for great so back in like the 1912s i think um japan and germany were using methamphetamines for their their war fighters which is intriguing to me that is very intriguing well uh, it's kind of like uh the what is it the yaya sisterhood uh the movie and they used to give women oh yeah methamphetamines oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's still used in, in more legal forms. You know, you have amphetamines, which is just a legal form of methamphetamines, truly, and more a little regulated. Um, and we still have service members who are using that in, in wartime situations to help keep them awake um, and alert. I was shocked to learn that as well. Wow. Um, so you're saying, sorry, the brain chemistry. 
we have uh, these natural reward systems that release dopamine. And sorry, if you can hear my cat, he also wants to make an appearance. <laughs> um, we have natural reward systems that release dopamine and serotonin that basically say, oh, I'm happy. Thank you so much. And uh, you, we can get these from hanging out with friends or having a glass of wine or eating a piece of chocolate cake, so forth and so on. And our natural rewards after doing any of these activities um, release about 150% above baseline dopamine and serotonin. Hmm. Uh, well, if you get into substances like cocaine, uh, that will release about 300% above baseline. So you can imagine how much wow. more cocaine makes you feel happy and better, so forth. Right. Methamphetamines um, release up to 1,000 times above baseline. Wow. It's, oh, my God. So it's like a higher high, basically. Oh, I mean, it just, is yeah. completely a higher high. And they have all these radiographic kind of evidence and PET scans and so forth that show various um, parts of the brain that light up. And yeah, there are actually studies where they gave people methamphetamine and put them in a scanner. So let's see what your brain does. <laughs> oh wow. my goodness. I know. And it is unbelievable. It just lights the brain up and it lights it up for a long time. Huh. So cocaine, you can kind of guesstimate around about an hour or so, and then you're going to kind of metabolize that and everything's going to start coming down. Methamphetamine is is days sometimes wow. where their brain is still lit up. So this is why you'll see patients who have used methamphetamines. They haven't slept for maybe two or three days. They're just amped up. They're ready to go. Um, and then they crash and they crash hard. Well, you know, whenever I do the little quick interviews when I'm in the GI clinic and whenever you ask, have you ever had a heart attack? And you'll have somebody young who says yes. And the first thing that goes off in my mind is methamphetamines because that's what they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll do. They'll just do meth so much that their heart just basically can't keep up. And I've had 30 year olds who've had MIs from just continually doing Meth. Wow. They were 30 when they had it. Obviously, if they're in the GI clinic, they're older. But when they say I had a heart attack whenever I was 30, my brain starts dinging then. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about people who use cocaine and then we were concerned about the cardiac uh, fallout from using cocaine. Methamphetamine is the same, except more. <laughs> This is, I mean, it's interesting to me because, you know, one, being an outsider, but two, to kind of think, you know, I always wonder why people take that first step and come to cocaine or meth or whatever they're on, you know, how do they get there to that first step? And then now listening to you talk, once you take that first step, it's like, gosh, I want to take that step again. It felt so good. I'm so high, you know, and that's, an interesting phenomenon to me because, uh, you know, I might go for a run and get high uh, off a run, but you're saying it's 10 times, 20 times, 30 times more than that. I mean, that's. Yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. And regarding chasing the high, and I didn't put this in my literature, but um, that once you do something like that, that encourages that release of neurotransmitters, like you have these little neurotransmitter stores and that once they release, it's never that same high that you had the first time. Oh. So now not only are you trying to get that experience again, you can't find that exact right. same very first experience again. So you're chasing um, 
Yeah. But also in terms of using methamphetamines, it creates such a dearth, such a vacuum of neurotransmitters. Then you just fall and then you're in a very depressed state and your dopamine can't keep up and your serotonin can't keep up. So then you feel like, and I'm just assuming, I'm sorry, (laughs) the feeling I would think uh, is that you need to use again just to get back to a normal kind of baseline. So if you um, don't kind of give your body a chance to go through that depressive state after all of your neurotransmitters are released, then you use again, and then you have the same kind of vicious cycle. So it really, when I read that, that's when I started to think, oh my gosh, you know, these, these people who use methamphetamines, they might get in and have a very hard way finding a way out. So Um, that made it a little bit more human for me where I went, oh gosh, the struggle to be clean from methamphetamine specifically is so tough. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. So, so Jenny, just from, from my viewpoint, and Sharon probably already knows this and probably a lot of our listeners, but what what happens when someone has used meth a considerable amount or even maybe right before they took an anesthetic? How, how does that change the way you give an anesthetic? What happens to them? And, and how does it affect the whole process? Yeah. So, and this is going to be kind of based on when they used methamphetamines too. So let's take the patient who has used methamphetamines recently and then has presented to the OR, we'll say for an emergent surgery. So they can't be canceled. Right. You're going to have a lot of those circulating um, neurotransmitters, which are going to cause increased heart rate, increase um, blood pressure. And you might see that I, I say amped up, but you know, they're, they're going to be ready to go and they might be aggressive, so forth and so on. So for these patients, there were a couple of things that I learned uh, in the literature. One was that you really don't want to restrain these patients. And this is a unique kind of a situation. So what happens when people are restrained and struggle when they have um, that much going on, what you can have is like a sudden cardiovascular collapse via um, isovolumetric kind of muscle contractions. And the best way that I can describe this to people is if you've ever heard of somebody in the news uh, who was tased and then died. Yes. That's kind of what can happen. Oh, okay. So they recommend not physically restraining um, any aggressive um, methamphetamine substance use disorder patient, but rather uh, chemically sedate them 
using Versed or, you know, any benzodiazepine. I say Versed because I'm going to assume that most anesthesia providers will have Versed accessible to them. Some of the things even said that you can give um, like one to two milligrams of Versed every eight to 10 minutes to a max of 20 milligrams, which is a lot of Versed. And I say that, but then also I see people who aren't using methamphetamines and can take 10 milligrams of Versed pretty easily. So, you know, keep in mind too, if this is an emergent surgery, probably you're going to intubate them. So are you concerned about their airway? Yes, you are concerned. But if you're going to be managing it anyway, um, the safety of the patient is going to be first and foremost. And those benzodiazepines will kind of um, help to counteract all of the high heart rate and hypertensive effects of somebody being so, so high on, on methamphetamine. So surely they're hypertensive since they're all revved up. How do you treat their hypertension? Are there any um, pearls of wisdom for that? Yeah. So first and foremost, really, you're going to go back to those benzodiazepines. Generally speaking, should those issues. And if they don't, then you can always go to Haldol. If you're still having problems after you've sedated them appropriately with their high blood pressure or high heart rate, there are a couple of pearls. This is where it kind of gets into the weeds a little bit. Um, so most people might think, oh, labetalol or esmolol. And the pearl here is that the literature is saying that you should not give beta blockers because what can happen is you can have that unopposed alpha stimulation and then it can worsen their hypertension. Uh, there are a few hospitals and uh, physicians that I have talked to, and, and they have um, also their own supporting li- literature that says that labetalol is probably acceptable. And this one particular physician in San Francisco has given it to several ER patients and, and nothing's been you know, coming about that the patient is having increased hypertension or any issues from that. The only thing that I could say from looking at the literature review is that the majority of the supporting literature says not to give beta blockers, and that would include labetalol. Now, I think if you're in practice and you gave labetalol, or if you give labetalol, you'll probably be fine and it's probably acceptable. And we will most likely see the literature being updated in the next 10 years that says this is supportive patients are okay, so forth and so on. If you're still having hypertension and you go, oh, I really, since you said that, don't feel comfortable using uh, beta blockers uh, in any way, shape, or form, we always have the calcium channel blockers or the nitro or the nipride or anything like that. But I think generally what you're going to see is after you've sedated the patient, and certainly if you're putting this patient to sleep, you probably won't have the issues with hypertension. And after you put them to sleep, you might have the opposite problem, hypotension. Wow. This is, I mean, Sharon, again, back, back to, you know, my noviceness of all this. I mean, it, it's very interesting to, to listen to this and it just reiterates what you guys deal with on a daily basis to me. I mean, because you literally are controlling this person's life up and down and you know I mean everything it's it's just it's amazing that I've known you for that long Sharon and that you can do that as well as I know you I mean it kind of scares me a little bit (laughs) you should be scared (laughs) (laughs) all right Jenny you talked about OB and um 
I'm sure that there are certain implications that someone, uh, a mother who's using methamphetamines, uh, what are some things that we need to know about that? Yes. Um, this was one of the misconceptions that the literature really kind of clarified for me because in my practice, people are like, if you have a patient who's using, do not use any kind of neuraxial anesthesia ever. So, you know, like exclamation point, yada, yada. And uh, I was like, mm, is that right? Why wouldn't we? Um, so the reasons that people wouldn't maybe necessarily want to use neuroaxial anesthesia, and this is not just OB, you know, this could be spinals for ortho procedures, so forth or so on, is that um, you'll have just a profound hypotension. So they don't have any more stores of endogenous supply of um, neurotransmitters. And if you block that, they vasodilate, and then they just kind of can't recover and you'll see people who are just so hypotensive that you'll be pushing phenylephrine, like sticks and sticks of phenylephrine. You're like, this isn't doing anything. Uh, It can be a terrifying situation. So um, with that kind of note aside, it is not an absolute contraindication if a patient's using methamphetamines to avoid neuroaxial anesthesia, you just kind of go in with that caveat. So if you ask me, have I given an epidural to a patient, a laboring patient who has used methamphetamines? Yes, I have. And you just kind of go into it um, with the understanding of, in the back of my mind, this patient might get hypotensive and you're either prepared for that or you know willing to kind of take the consequences of it. And of course, this is going to depend on how much the patient uses, when did they last use so forth and so on. Um, a lot of my methamphetamine, I'm just very honest with them. I mean, they've requested an epidural. I say, I, I have these concerns about your use. You need to be very upfront with me about when you last use. This is very important for your safety and the safety of your baby. And I had, for example, one patient who said that she had used four or five days ago. She had an epidural for her other child. She was using with her other child. Nothing was wrong with her epidural. And so I kind of took a step back and looked at how her vital signs were and some of, you know, her labs, like do her kidneys look okay? Obviously are her platelets okay? And do I feel safe and comfortable giving this person an epidural? And I said, you know, I'm going to do a test dose kind of just a soft start. And if we have any issues at all, that's it. Um, We're done. I'm pulling this epidural. And I put in the epidural for her and she did fine. Everything went very well. You can kind of contrast that with another patient that I've had. And this was before I started looking into literature about methamphetamines at all, who came in with, I think, breach and active labor, and we needed to do an emergency section. And she was just writhing all over the place. And of course we restrained her, which is something you're not supposed to do. And it was fine. Thank goodness. Um, But we ended up putting her to sleep. And then after putting her to sleep, she had pretty profound hypotension, not only from the anesthesia agents, but also from the recourse from her drug use. So you just come in with the Neo drip ready to go. (laughs) Yeah. Is that, is that what I'm hearing you say? <laughs> Neo, Epi, all of your kind of direct acting vasopressors. Cause I mean, you could give ephedrine if that was all you had, but it's not going to do anything. <laughs> now, what, vasopressin, 
to get you through? Would that work? Or um, I had not seen anything in the literature specifically talking about vasopressin, and I have gotten a few questions about that. I couldn't see any reason why you wouldn't give it a shot. Like if you're desperate, let's be honest. Um, I know the circulating blood volume that might put a little bit more strain on the heart. And if you're worried about, is this person able to urinate? Are they urinating? You know, that might put a little bit more concern uh, in the back of a person's mind. But if it's what you have, then it's what you have. So what about ketamine? Not for the blood pressure, obviously, but it's use because it's kind of made a resurgence with, with the anesthesia community. I mean, I love ketamine. Yeah. I use it a couple of times actually just last night. Yeah. I love ketamine, even though I had a patient code with it a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Um, But they had, you've got to have circulating catechols and I'm assuming the same thing can happen with these meth addicts because their catechols are depleted. And we had a patient was a bring back transplant nephrectomy and they had bled out in the PACU and their hemoglobin was three when I got them and we gave them ketamine for induction and they flatlined. We got them back, but that drug scared me for a long time. And so I didn't use it, but I've got a whole new found respect for that drug. Yeah, but we shouldn't use them with these meth addicts. I I generally advise people to abstain for, for that, that very reason. You have no catechols, exactly. So it would yeah. just push them on over the edge, like what I saw. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you can kind of take that with a grain of salt. Like, when did they use last? Um, so forth and so on. But yeah, if they're if they are coming in, have used recently, I would avoid it. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855 855- 304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So any other things that you found out in your literature search and the things that you've learned? And then tell us how you disseminated uh, your information and how our listeners can get to all this work that you did. Yeah. Um, I will be honest. One thing I was hoping to find in the literature was this pie in the sky test that said, oh, you're this amount of intoxicated from methamphetamine like you have with alcohol. That didn't exist that I found, which was disappointing because that if we had that could give more of a baseline for saying, hey, this patient came in high, low, medium risk complications based on how intoxicated they are. The only thing that we really test for is urine or blood, and it says amphetamine positive or negative. And that's really tricky because people metabolize things at all kinds of different rates. And that was another misconception I got. People like, oh, they're still positive three days later. That should be out of their system. Um, They're using still, and they lie to us. 
Well, we can't say that unequivocally because sometimes a patient can test positive for up to 10 days, which is extraordinary. Uh, So I wish that that had come about in research and it didn't. So until then, we're still kind of in this land of, well, I mean, to be safe, if they're positive, if you can cancel their surgery, you should probably cancel their surgery. And how I disseminated the information was, of course, my, my doctorate at Yale University. And uh, in that process, I was able to publish a paper with the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation regarding um, these kind of suggestions, literature review, um, and it really breaks down the hypertensive aspects of it, what to do if your patient is hypotensive, um, using the benzodiazepines first, not restraining the patient. So that was uh, a brief, I don't want to call it brief, but kind of brief um, little article that you could kind of carry around with you. And as an aside, I also made an algorithm that somebody could just look at really quickly and say, has my patient used methamphetamines? Yes, no, cancel, not cancel. And then if you have to proceed with the surgery for somebody who's used more recently, um, what actions that they can take. That one I'm still working on getting out to the people, so to speak. Um, But I'm also working on having a a chapter published in a textbook um, regarding patients who use methamphetamines. I think that was the most gratifying for me too, because if you go to any anesthesia textbook, their section on methamphetamines is like two sentences Hmm. and cocaine gets all all these pages and pages. And I don't want to be like, come on guys. Yeah. Well, if you send us the algorithm, we'll, we'll post that in the show notes. Um, And if you'll send us the link to your article, we'll post that in the show notes so that people can go and take a look at that. That algorithm will prove to be very helpful. I think. I hope so. We had a lot of other experts in the field, um, help figure that out as well. So we do have some other, it's not just me making this up. We have (laughs) other experts that have helped me along this process and I can't thank them enough. Well, Jenny, as we, as we kind of conclude here, is there anything else you want to get across to our listeners? I mean, you obviously know this stuff. You've done a great job here today, giving us a taste of, of, uh, what you've put together. Anything else you'd like to conclude on? Yeah, I think, um, you know, number one, don't panic. (laughs) You see somebody who's used methamphetamines and you can't cancel their surgery. People are very resilient. So even if we're like, oh my gosh, I was doing all this stuff in the past that I shouldn't have been doing. Don't panic. It'll be okay. Remember Versed is your friend always and forever. And then if just as a personal aside, you know, reading all of this literature and kind of going, going through the neurochemical process, just kind of keep an open mind. I know a lot of times as anesthesia providers, people, we can carry around these biases, which might impact our care of patients. So if one thing you could say, oh man, I didn't know that it could be this difficult um, for somebody who has used methamphetamines to, to stop using methamphetamines and then just kind of approach your patients with as much of a that is the cat. That's Pepper. 
you know, Jenny, it's kind of funny. I'm listening to you talk and you're like, don't panic. And your voice is so calm and mellow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if she told me that, I wouldn't panic. You know, I mean, it's just, you have this easygoing <laughs> sort of demeanor. I like that. So. This comes from years of doing OB anesthesia. <laughs> my patients are awake and they are panicking and you can't give them hardly anything until that baby comes out and you just go, it's okay. Don't panic. A lot of people have said I sound like a yoga instructor. You do. You do. And you even <laughs> smiled the whole time you said it and you have this demeanor about you. I mean, I don't know about you, Sharon, but you know, I, I could kind of almost sit there and just listen to her talk for a little while and my blood pressure's going down and down and down. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> She's got another job if anesthesia doesn't work That's out. Right. She could make right. these tapes for people to listen to. <laughs> People are going to be like, this is about methamphetamines. And she doesn't sound like a methamphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> really, I do not use. Although um, it is awkward for having my name tied to methamphetamine. You can Google Crow methamphetamine. Oh, wow. And you pop right out. And right there out. you are. Yeah. Well, that just means that you're an expert on it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Jenny, we want to thank you today for, for being on the show and obviously for all that you're doing here and giving back and so forth to the community. And um, I know that Sharon and you met through Yale and, you know, that, that had to be a, a special time in both of your lives. And I can just see between the two of you the camaraderie today. And uh, that's pretty special in itself as well. So It was a great time. Uh, I wish it would have ended a little bit differently with the COVID, um, yeah. but... Yeah, but you guys I, made it. You did it. We made it. And you're on the other side. Yes. 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 I think we need to do the lightning round with Jenny. Well, let's do the lightning round then, Sharon. I know that's your favorite. So, Jenny, name one thing on your bucket list. I, oh gosh, want to travel more specifically. I want to go to Japan and I want to go to Greece. Hmm. Mm, our Greek cruise after Croatia was canceled. Oh, I'm so no. disappointed due that to COVID. Fair. So next time we're just going to go without going to the IFNA meeting and I'll call you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, Jenny, if you could have dinner with anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Oh, Ernest Hemingway. Oh, <gasps> oh we've never heard that name. That's a good one. one. Why? Tell me why. I love his writing and I find him to be a fascinating person. Maybe not always a good person, Very true. but a fascinating person. Huh. Interesting. So if you could have another profession, Jenny, what would that be? I would be a chef. No question. I, um, so I have a Peloton and I am part of the Peloton CRNA group. Uh, and my tagline is bike for bakes. And basically, if I'm not working, I'm just cooking huh. uh, and baking. making bread. You're oh. not in your bread phase anymore so much. You used to post your bread all the time on your Instagram and stuff. Yeah, I got into the sweet breads, though. Like um, for Mardi Gras, I made this most delicious king cake. Oh, oh it was divinity. And your husband looks like a twig. Does he not <laughs> eat what you make? He uh, does. It's so rude. I have tried people. to get him to gain weight almost <laughs> 10 years now, and he won't do it. His metabolism must be off the charts. That's what you're telling us. Uh, 
It is. Um, all right. So this is the one that I always end with. If you won the lottery, Jenny, what would you do? Oh, I would travel to Japan and Greece. <laughs> <laughs> Comes full circle, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. Oh, I would say quit my job, but I don't think that I would. I really like my job. I wish sometimes it wasn't so stressful yeah. or um, makes me so sleep deprived, but I do. I love it. So I probably, I would probably work less though, because I'd be traveling so much. Yeah. Would you stay in OB? I would. Um, but it is nice to take vacations from OB from time to time. Yeah. yeah. That's a tough one. I was never oh. an OB girl. I find that um, anesthesia providers you either love OB or hate OB, and yeah. there's not a lot of gray area. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Jenny, uh, thank you so much for being on, Sharon. I think it's a wrap. I think so. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? Well, the best way to help us grow is to leave us a review. But above and beyond that, tell all your friends, share it on social media, help us grow. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country, and Jeremy wants us to be number one, of course. <laughs> and if they leave a review, Sharon, just tell them to make sure it's positive. There's enough positive. negativity in the world, right? Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. And as, as my grandma used to say, you ain't got nothing good to say. Don't say anything at all. There you go. Until <laughs> next time. It's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855 304 3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. 
Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit osaemr.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.